Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Season 4, Episode 21 of Pick 6 Picks. I'm Thomas Kyle Millwood, he's Greg Kendall, and this is the weekly show that picks apart the NFL lines and helps you beat the book. Conference Championship Weekend, Greg. How are we feeling? Episode 21, really? That's right. Jeez. Yeah, we're, we've got one Man. left after this bad boy, and we'll be doing I, it live. Think, yeah, we've, <laughs> we've got like... Uh, like Game of Thrones level content output now, I think. If you Absolutely. Add it all up. We're basically HBO, ladies and gentlemen. HBO for gambling. Yeah. Um, oh, we should start charging people 19 bucks a month. That's, that's, right. Um, <laughs> that's right. But no, I'm I'm uh, I'm feeling pretty good actually. These are I you know, we'll we'll get into it in more detail obviously, but I feel like these are two really good matchups actually. That, yeah. You know, we're we're going to see some good football. There's there's a lot to uh, sink our teeth into here. Um and uh, before we do, I just want to kind of pat us on the back here for for crushing the divisional round three and one. Each of us went three and one, uh, and the one uh, didn't even feel like one that I felt bad about. If you told me uh, today that uh, Dallas would play San Francisco and the Niners would score nineteen points after going over thirty in their six games prior to the game against Dallas, I would say give me the Dallas on the money line. So. Uh, we did fall short there. The Niners did beat Dallas 19 to a kind of eye-popping 12, and that 12 was not because of the Niners' defense doing anything special. It was Dallas being the most incompetent on that side of the football that I've seen in a while. Um, and then, yeah, just uh, racking up dubs all the way down the uh, the board for the other three games. Um, KC obviously yeah, we- beat beat Jacksonville. That was a fun one, though. It was, uh, that was, that was the shootout of the week. Like that was the good game. We yeah. got it out of the way early. You and I both, uh, definitely called the, uh, Cincinnati win as well, which felt right. good. That was my, that was yeah. my lock. Uh, we both had Cincinnati, uh, plus the points and, uh, on the money line. Um, that, that really felt like a good game. That was one of the games where, you know everything comes together and we we kind of nailed all the all the intricacies within the game down to coming dangerously close to cashing a very large player prop bet um and i say mm-hmm. large talking about the juice not about the amount of money we bet on it but uh yeah i mean we had the we had the chase anytime touchdown um we had hayden Knocked hurst that out in about four plays yeah we had hayden hurst popping off he popped off um and I really, I really felt drawn to the game script that Cincinnati used in the canceled game against Buffalo. And sure enough, very similar. Uh, Burrow, Burrow started like I believe nine for nine before he threw an incompletion. Very similar to that, that uh, canceled game against the Bills. Uh, Hurst got going early, and then Chase was the man. And Chase has been the man down the stretch. Uh, Higgins is. Uh, target share has dried up to something like 19%, which is really not good for the 1A, 1B narrative that folks like to put out there about the receiving core for the Bengals. But Jamar Chase has been so good, so dangerous, so deadly uh, in the playoffs and really down the stretch of the season that you can see why Joe Burrow keeps going back to him. Yeah, and Burrow looked sharp in that game, playing in the snow, uh, you know, that's if I'm Kansas City, I'm studying the tape on that. He looked uh, fearsome. And they they finally got Joe Mixon going. Joe Mixon popped a century on the ground, had the touchdown uh, that needed uh, needed the uh, challenge flag to be thrown to be uh, counted. But he really looked good. Was I I was messaging you uh, <coughs> during the very beginning of the game before you could get to a TV and. Uh, I believe the message was Mixon can get five yards whenever he wants. And, uh, and he continued to do that for the rest of the game. Um, just a really complete performance by Cincinnati. I, I don't necessarily have a great amount of analysis for what went wrong for Buffalo, but they've got to figure out a way to keep that offense on schedule and not have to take as many deep shots because when yeah. when they're not hitting those deep bombs, the the three and outs are, are crazy. And that's what happened in this game. They had two quick three and outs. Um the end of the uh the end of the first quarter, they had six yards of offense and uh the this the Bengals had more than a hundred. And it's like, well, this isn't a recipe for success, Buffalo. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not. 
Um, and then the the blowout of the week was Philly against the Giants. We all kind of smelled this one coming. Um, I, I think you you mentioned you know being a little nervous about laying the extra the extra half point, um, but uh, the Eagles did not make you regret that choice. Uh, Giants looked like the odd team out in this round. They looked like the team that didn't belong. Yeah, do we think Minnesota would have held up better? It's tough to say. My guess is no. I think that Philly just got got a good side of the draw, um, as the one seed sometimes does, and uh, and they got to to play the winner of of two decently poor teams, um, and they made it count. Yeah, yeah, and it's strange that you know between my two preseason Super Bowl picks, Philly's the one that's still alive. They that felt out there at the beginning of the season, and Buffalo right. felt like a juggernaut. Yeah, and that uh, that Buffalo juggernaut ran out of gas. Definitely, you know the uh, the Bills. Um, yeah i I feel bad for people that watched Cincinnati struggle against the Ravens in round one and somehow ignored two months of Buffalo sending up every single warning signal that they could, that they were going to implode down the stretch and, uh, and then bet the Buffalo line. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, credit to you, you, you kind of called this um, after the DeMar injury. And you said that Buffalo was either going to win it all, or they were going to pack it up and go home. They almost did it for you in the first round, which I think would have, would have been the uh, the definition of 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 your call there, but they somehow Cold managed. Shot, yeah. They somehow managed to play a team on down to their third string QB. But I do think that if uh, Tua was back, they would have lost to Tua <clears throat> and the Dolphins in the first round. So I'm going to give you full credit for that prediction anyway. Um, and it was uh, that was it was just a, having the Bengals on the money line was absolutely zero sweat. Um, at no point did I feel in danger. So yeah. Here we are. Um, I don't really have a ton to say about the Dallas uh, Niners game just before we 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 go through to the round here. Um, no, not a ton of stuff happened. Not it was a, kind not of a, a ton boring of stuff game. Happened. Yeah, I, I think my my biggest thing that I kind of want to circle back to is last week on the pod. I said that when Dak is running the football aggressively, he's a top ten QB in the league, and I and I do stand by that. I think, however, that one of the distressing things about Dak is that there are also days when bad Dak shows up and bad Dak can't read a defense and can't dial his passes in correctly. He's too high or too low. And we've talked about that a little bit this season. It's one of the reasons why he led the league in interception percentage was that there are these games where he just comes out and his arm doesn't look right. He doesn't look dialed in. Looks like he needs to adjust the uh, the sights on the old long gun, and uh, and you get these really erratic performances, and that's what we got. I mean, you or I could have made both of the interceptions that he threw; they were not complicated. Um, in both cases, he just completely missed an opponent uh, being in the spot where he wanted to throw the football. Uh, tight window doesn't even describe the the Fred Warner interception. He just straight up didn't see Fred Warner and only saw the trailing cornerback when he threw the ball. Uh, and uh, but if you if you take those two picks out of the game, I mean, let's even with those two picks, even with those two picks, the Niners needed a touchdown drive in which George Kittle played hot potato with the football and bounced it off his face mask a couple times like he was playing NBA street back home on the game system. Um, then they needed, <laughs> so that was one play. And then the next two plays were both awful, awful, <clears throat> awful penalties on Dallas, which moved the Niners even closer uh, and sandwiched into that sequence was Diggs making a catch for an interception and then dropping it. Uh, and, and it, it may have been one of the worst dropped interceptions I've seen this season. He had both hands fully on it took a step and dropped it. Um, and that's how the Niners got the seven points, which proved to be the final margin. So just a, a game in which if Dallas had even tried to show up and get off the bus, they should have won. And instead, uh, Purdy throws for 214 yards, threw the ball a ton. I think he had 28 attempts, which really kind of surprised me. Uh, Niners didn't really run the ball outside of that one successful touchdown drive. They really struggled on the ground. Overall, a bad performance for the Niners. Do you 
kind of project that going forward or am I getting my head of myself and should we get ready to make our picks before we we start talking about that <laughs> um I I am concerned about the Niners offense yes okay all right well why don't Let's you uh why don't you set the, the table moment. for us here so we can delve into these two very juicy matchups yeah they are juicy and you can tell they're juicy because the lines are not gambler friendly they are <laughs> very close lines you're getting no help at all from Vegas uh at noon pacific on sunday we start the week with san francisco at philly and philly is laying two and a half at home which man alive which is a surprising line uh i was ch- i was chatting with a friend of the podcast will rubin and a co-worker and uh we were waiting for vegas to put the lineup on sunday and and Will goes, oh, the line's up, the line's up. And I'm like, what is it, like Philly minus six and a half? And he goes, no, it's Philly <laughs> minus two and a half. And I'm like, well, I've just figured out what I'm doing this evening. I'm driving to the casino, and I'm putting a large sum of money on Philly to win by two and a half points. <laughs> uh, just yeah. a, a, a line that feels kind of disrespectful, given that Philly – um, did blow out the the Giants, and San Francisco did struggle as much as they did. Both of these teams obviously have very good defenses. Um, did you feel in your, your viewing of the Eagles-Giants game that Jalen Hurts looked healthy to you? Uh, he did kind of have to come running back from the shoulder injury for the last season of the game to make sure they locked up the one seed and the bye did you did he show you enough against the Giants where you're confident that he's healthy going into this contest? Oh man, that's such a heavy question. I I th- nothing about his performance was that remarkable to me. It, it just felt like he was doing exactly what he needed to do. That game didn't stress him, you know. He didn't have to play heroically. Um he put some pretty good zip on uh, on a couple of good balls. So yeah, I mean, I think he looks fine. Yeah. It's hard to say, you know. It, that's a that's a tricky injury, and that's something that could be, you know, fine one day, and then you sleep on it funny, and it's aggravated the next day. But you got to remember that Jalen Hurts isn't in his thirties like I am, so maybe that doesn't play at all. <laughs> and then on the flip side, uh, Purdy, I, I mentioned he he didn't he didn't do much against Dallas, just the two hundred and fourteen yards passing. Um, he's he's undefeated. Um, he plays in a QB friendly system. Are you worried about him in this contest as he as he moves deeper into the playoffs? Exceedingly, I am exceedingly worried about him. Um, I I don't think that I will get any pushback from you when I say that Philly is a better coached team than the Dallas Cowboys. Is that I is I that fair to say? I think that's a fair assessment. I I would go as far as to say a generous <laughs> assessment. Um, but uh no doubt yeah um you know the the Shanahan system has been very good for Brock Purdy he's had some decent game i mean he he had a pretty good game against Dallas and a you know Dallas is a an above average defense but uh i think that the the eagles are going to be ready <laughs> for what they do <laughs> yeah i think they have the personnel to to take away a lot of those comfort zone passes i I think the big, as so often we see in NFL games, especially in the postseason, I think what's going to be the crux of this game is really going to be the Philly defensive line against the San Francisco offensive line that's that's keeping Purdy clean back there. And um, Philly, I believe, finished the regular season with 69 sacks. 60 of those sacks were from the front four and substitutes for the front four. Wow. Uh, every one of the starting front four for the Eagles has 10 or more sacks. And then for San Francisco, you've obviously got the gold standard at left tackle in Trent Williams. Let's say Trent Williams erases one of those front four guys for Philly. You've still got three other dogs who've combined for more than 30 sacks coming down the pike aimed right at Purdy. And I am just not convinced that the Niners are going to be able to keep Purdy clean. And we saw this in the first half um, when Dallas was able to get home a couple times. D-Law had a sack. Um, 
another one of the gentlemen on the Dallas D line who I'm I'm blink blanking on. It wasn't Parsons also got a sack, and we we saw some some struggles from from Purdy. He did hit a couple of deep kind of deep passes to Kittle, um, and I believe Debo had another one in the first half. But uh, one of the one of the signature moments of the first half for me was when uh, it wasn't first and goal, but it was first and 10 in the red zone. And Kyle Shanahan called three straight pass plays for Purdy. And he went one for two for eight yards and they kicked a field goal on fourth and two. And that to me was just kind of eye opening because again, you'd think in a third and two situation, they'd run the football because it's Kyle Shanahan and that's kind of what he's supposed to do. Um, <laughs> So the fact that, that that he's kind of mixing it up here and, and seems prepared to have Purdy go out on his shield doesn't seem to mesh well in my mind when Philly's got all those dudes on the D-line coming at him. I feel like uh, I feel like Purdy's going to come a cropper and Kyle Shanahan is either going to have to try and run the ball more or regret the fact that he's come up with a game plan that requires his Mr. Irrelevant QB to throw the ball a ton. I agree. Yeah, uh, this uh, the Purdy experience against that Philly D line is just terrifying. It, if I'm if I'm a San Francisco fan, I am very concerned. Do Do you feel like you know? Obviously, the the number one <clears throat> way to protect your QB is to run the football. Do you feel like San Francisco is going to be able to get McCaffrey or Elijah Mitchell going? McCaffrey did practice today. He was a full participant. Uh, he's had a cough injury. Uh, you might have seen him on the sideline against Dallas getting a heat pad repeatedly applied to his right cough. He is allegedly going to go and be be a full go. Uh, Mitchell has not yet practiced this week, and he actually had more carries than McCaffrey did, perhaps because of that CMC injury in the Dallas game. So they could be down their backup back and kind of that banger to go again, uh, to go complement the McCaffrey Quicksilver speed. Um, do you think that, that Kyle Shanahan will be able to work some magic and get the ground game going to try and give Purdy some breathing room and keep the Niners close enough that it's not a situation where Philly is blitzing every single play because they know Purdy has to throw? I think they're I think he's gonna have to so in that sense yes you know out of necessity uh, I expect a lot of short and swing type passes yeah. probably to McCaffrey uh, so you know I might be looking at some uh, McCaffrey receiving props you know if you can get him like over four receptions that feels pretty good Um, but yeah I, I don't I don't think this is going to be a blowout. I don't think Philly is going to go out there and absolutely dominate and wire to wire like they did with the Giants. But I, I just don't see I don't see San Francisco having more than two touchdown drives. Let's say that. You know, maybe they get a good punt return, start at the 38-1 drive and they and they get it in the end zone. You know, maybe they put together a nice long one after halftime and it looks like it's going to be a game, but I I'm feeling like, you know, 28-17 that kind of that kind of game. It it definitely has like a a double digit feel to me. Eagles by double digits. So go ahead and uh give me Philly minus two and a half. I'm gonna lock this one up. Um like I said, made <clears throat> this bet made this bet on the Sunday night right after they beat the Giants. Uh feel feel really good. Feel like this is a short line. Uh it's just time for the Purdy experiment to come to an end. I I think that he's carried him about as far as he's going to carry him. It's interesting that that line hasn't moved. So my understanding, because money has been all over Philly, my understanding is the books have good intel that if the line gets to three, there is going to be a ton of shop money betting San Fran plus three. Um, and so my guess is this line is kind of sitting at this number because the books are afraid to move it. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> but again, I, you know, I project this line more around that six and a half number, not, not and that getting a field goal here, a field goal game feels, uh, very generous in what I project to be kind of a 10 point win. I, I would take this if it was Philly minus six and a half or Philly minus seven, two. So, 
Um, Ooh, wow. I think we're uh, I think we're locked in on this one. I'm curious, what's the line for your pool for this game? Two and a half. It is two and a half still. Yeah. Okay, well, take us to the next <clears throat> game and tell me what the line for that is because this line has been all over the damn map. <laughs> yes, it has. Uh, Cincinnati's getting one and a half on the road. Okay, yeah, that's that's my line as well. And 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 like I said, this was kind of a journey. Um, I, I believe it opened KC minus three, and then just got pounded uh, by a ton of betters looking to get the points with the Bengals, not knowing the status of Mahomes' ankle. My thought the entire time was that Mahomes was going to play because it just seemed. Like if he was able to come back and play in the second half of a game that they had a lead in, that he would be good to go after a week of rehab. Um, and sure enough, he looks normal-ish in practice. We've seen some very fleeting snippets of film that show him kind of running around, going through his paces in practice. So um, I think that was a bit of a, a false flag there. That being said... Um, you know, once news of his health uh, came back out, Cincinnati, who had, who had the line had shifted all the way to Cincinnati minus one, it slowly uh, the steamed back the other way, and now, yeah, I also have KC minus one and a half. So, um, we we do end up with the same line here, meeting meeting in the middle after some crazy shenanigans. Um, how worried are you about that Mahomes ankle? I mean, you you watched the game. He he looked uh, he definitely looked hobbled until he got it taped. But then again, he was also playing without it taped, so clearly he was able to stay out there. Uh, are you are you <laughs> putting it into your handicap, or are you just kind of assuming he's going to be a full go? I am I am putting it into my handicap because uh, Mahomes is. I'm gonna I'm gonna put on my like. Dan Patrick hat, my like stereotypical sports guy hat. Mahomes is a competitor. He's, he's a competitor. A, he's a fighter. There was no way he wasn't going to play. He would play that game on one leg if he had to. Um, so that I never figured, you know, oh, I'm, I'm going to get points to go up against Chad Henney here. Um, right. Who, right. who it must be remarked did lead a 98 yard touchdown drive in that game. Um, I believe that's tied but, for the longest touchdown drive in NFL history. So congratulations <laughs> to Chad Henney. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's tied for second place at the, at the absolute least, but um, where was I going with that? Oh, you know, the, the question is not, is Mahomes going to play is, is he going to, go in there and play at 80% because he's, you know, not as mobile. Uh, We've seen him do some damage with his legs this season. Uh, You know, I don't think that's part of the game plan, but he is, he he plays a very improvisational style. So having that card in his deck has been very valuable for him this year. Um, This feels like a close game to me. These teams are very evenly matched. I love the potential for fireworks here. Uh, but, you know, I think if they if they play this game a hundred times, you know, Mahomes not being a hundred percent would swing the outcome of this game, you know, at least five to ten times, right? So you have right. to consider that. Um what and and when the line is so close like this, it's <laughs> something that uh you know that, that could tip a cover one way or the other very, very easily. So one thing though that I wanted to to talk about, <clears throat> I feel like this is a very it's a very good crop of coaches that we've got in this round of playoffs. Sure. And I feel like Zach Taylor is the weak link. He is the odd coach out in this uh <laughs> scheme. So when I'm you know, I'm looking at little fractional things, little hairline tips one way or the other i feel like uh the coaching advantage has got to go to kc in this one and and feel free to to play off of that narrative i i think you're probably right i i feel like that's not going to be the case in the game plan though i i think that zach taylor is a bad in-game coach he's bad at things like challenging he's bad at things like timeout management and uh and last year he certainly seemed to have uh, a really heavy hand in the fact that the game plan was always very heavily run-based. This year, however, Cincinnati is one of the most pass-happy teams in the league. They're finally going all in on their strengths. And 
this this Cincinnati team, I mean, it was a journey to get to this point. Um, five weeks into the season, you and I were talking about how the Super Bowl hangover was real, uh, how the Bengals weren't really able, hadn't really been able to solve their their uh, you know their pass protection issues. Um, they couldn't run the football, um, but now they're quietly really good at both. Um, their number, I believe, they're number two in DVOA for rushing the football. I can I can double check that while I'm talking. And then of course they uh, they can roll out this really fun quick passing offense that you know is able to kind of neutralize opponent pass rushing and yeah so i'm looking here cincinnati's number four excuse me in rush dvoa and number uh number seven in pass dvoa um so they're really able to kind of do both here and frankly it's impressive um just kind of watching this team's evolution. And I think a lot of that has to do with the offensive coordinator, Callahan, <clears throat> who is actually a, a relatively hot name in coaching circles and is interviewing with, uh, with Indy and I believe another team right now. Um, so as far as like the game plan against Casey, the uh, Joe Burrow is three and O against Mahomes. Like we've, we've seen Cincinnati be able to come out with game plans before, and the limiting the limiting factor of Mahomes' ankle, I still go back and forth on that, but I do think that we see an offense that sees probably Mahomes feed uh, McKinnon and and do a lot of those kind of checkdowns, Tom Brady, Tampa Bay style, where they're where they're getting the running backs going through the air, and then Kittle's just going to have a monster game because that's what he does. He had 17 targets last week, and that wasn't just Chad Henney. Uh, Mahomes leaned on him really hard. And I think that that's kind of an underrated storyline, or at least I haven't seen anyone report on it. The fact that the KC receivers have just vanished in the postseason. Um, and mm. this is kind of a narrative that we we put aside during the regular season. Everyone was like, oh, you know, Mahomes is, had one of his best passing seasons without Tyreek Hill, yada, 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 yada. Oh, he's mixing the ball around. He's getting the running backs involved. Well, we saw the rubber hit the road last week in a game where he was injured and it was close for a little bit. I mean, the Jags made it fucking close. They 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 were within a score for long chunks of that game. Um, and guess what? There was, there was zero receiver action for KC. It was all Kelsey, and then we're going to run the ball, and then we're going to you know check it down. That was that was the offense, and you know either by design or by necessity due to Mahomes' injury, I think we see a repeat of that week, a, a repeat of that this week. And I think that severely limits the Chiefs. I know that Andy Reid's genius. I know Mahomes is an incredible talent. But just not being able to pass outside the numbers because you have a Baltimore Ravens-esque receiving core, I think is problematic. Um <laughs> And Savage. I, and I think it's going to be a scenario much like against Buffalo, in which Cincinnati's secondary is actually going to look pretty respectable, led by Eli Apple. Um, and uh, I I think that plays a factor. So I'm I'm leaning towards you know the blue collar Bengals and an offense that they've they have honed over an 18 week regular season. Um, an offensive line that even though they're down to backups, like we talked about last week, they're still able to run the football, perhaps even better than before. Um, and then a, and a, a Bengals D line that has been really respectable as well in the playoffs. I, I I think that just objectively looking at last week's Bills Bengals game, I think Cincinnati won the won the battle of the lines on both sides of the football. They had the better D line and they had the better O line. <laughs> That that was the surprise of the game. I think would be fair to say because uh, a lot of people were uh, getting pretty concerned about the backups against the Buffalo pass rush. And uh, I wasn't. I, guess, I wasn't. It, I, I was. I'm listeners gonna, I was of the podcast about, would have not been worried about that. I at was all. coming around to say it. I just had to gather myself. <laughs> Give me my goddamn bouquet, Greg. <laughs> okay. You said. I'm not worried about the Buffalo pass rush because those backups are actually, you know, one-time starters and they know the system. Right. And you were right. That's and true. yeah, and the that 
line was pretty much a non-factor, which is the best thing an offensive line can be. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, Kansas City pass rush also not really much to write home about. Uh, so in that sense, you know, that that's kind of a push, I feel like. I, Cincinnati's just, they're a really potent team. And we saw them look really good against a really good opponent last week. I, you know, I, I'm picking Cincinnati. I'll be the first one to say it. Um, but I don't think, you know, a point and a half doesn't move the needle for me. I, I think I might be rolling with the, the slight juice on the money line here. Yeah, this uh, this I'll actually be uh, I'll be picking the uh, the Bengals as well. I'll be going uh, Bengals plus one and a half and taking them on the money line. The, in real life, however, this is not a game I'm going to bet. I'm not picking a side. I have uh, a very nice Cincinnati Bengals Super Bowl winning future, and that's going to be my action this week. Just seeing if Cincinnati can make it to the Super Bowl and allow me to kind of hedge it a little bit. Um, but uh, <clears throat> Yeah, I I am not going to touch this game. I th- I think if I did, it would probably be the over. Uh, I like I like the over forty seven. Um, th- yeah, I feel like the o- I feel like the over under was suspiciously uh, low. And it, and it's game. been it's been moving over. I say forty seven, which is what I would have betted at yesterday when I was at the casino. But I believe the line's up to forty eight today. This just feels like a twenty seven twenty four Bengals win to me. Um, and uh, and that might be worth checking the exact score odds on DraftKings to see if that's worth putting a couple bucks on. But um, feels it feels like much like much like the Bills game. I feel like Cincinnati will come out strong early, and they'll just kind of hold serve for the rest of the game. Every time KC goes down and scores, they'll match it with a field goal, or they'll match it with a touchdown, and just kind of you know stay ahead keep keep a half length ahead of of uh, the chiefs the entire game but uh i i do like the uh the bengals to give us a philly cincinnati super bowl which should be fun as shit so so you uh you got cincinnati oh, plus one and a half you said right i do okay cincinnati plus one and a half for greg um by the way if you were gonna do a teaser <laughs> it 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 feels like Philly down to eh, down to what three and, a half? three and a half yeah Philly yeah. down to three and a half the Bengals uh, all the way down to plus eight and the over all and the way down to like forty one feels 42. really nice yeah. that feels nice the over it for does. the uh, the Bengals uh, Chiefs game to be clear I think that feels juicy to me. It does, but that—that uh, that is exactly the yeah. teaser that I would I would accrue. Um, and it's good that we waited because now that you get uh, plus points with your teaser for taking the Bengals as opposed to negative points, so that's always fun. Let's uh, let's close this episode out with a little uh, a little TKM and Kendall award ceremony. We're gonna give you our coach of the year. Offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, and most importantly, MVP. Um, let's start with coach of the year. I feel like there are a couple of different ways that you can choose to interpret who is worthy of a coach of the year. You could go with um, coach that turns dog shit team into something more. Uh, you could go with coach who elevated a team that you hadn't considered into a serious postseason contender. And then you could kind of go with the, uh, what I feel way too many national media guys default to, which is coach of the best team gets coach of the year. Um, where do you kind of fall on that? Um, I, I am in the first camp. I'm a, I'm a first camp guy, uh, which, This year, I think there's a couple of those guys that we have to consider. Um, I, I know you and I talked about Dan Campbell for this award, <laughs> right? Right, because he he and elevated, he does go he does go into that um, first camp bucket, doesn't he? <laughs> Dog shit team suddenly yeah. suddenly has a winning record. Yeah. What happened here, Dan? Okay, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but my my pick, and you know, I can make the case a little bit. Uh, I got to take Brian Dable for coach of the year here because 
That Giants team was the worst team in the NFL over the last five years. Had a quarterback that probably three quarters of the league would have given up on by now. No number one receiver. Uh, running back who just had his first healthy season, I think, in his entire career. Um, some rancid ingredients in that in that pantry. And he took him to the playoffs, and he won a playoff game on the road. And I am very impressed. Uh, I was impressed with his in-game decision-making. Made some gutsy calls. Called uh, strategically a few very impressive games and really – you know, that's what a good coach does bring out the accentuate the talents of your best players. And, uh, Daniel Jones had his best season as a pro Saquon Barkley looked great. So yeah, that is a, an impressive performance there and hopefully a sign of, uh, riding the ship in, in New York and cannot be overlooked. Uh, his name rhymes with Mike Vrabel, who was coach of the year last year. So, <laughs> Uh, that is a fun note. really you got to give that some consideration there's yeah, my I, case for brian dable i think dable's a, a very worthy candidate um he uh, i mean you you saw it right away I, I the the game that immediately comes to mind early in the season i think it may have been as early as week two uh was the giants game against tennessee where they went for two and one very late um i believe tennessee like missed a field goal there was there was some there was some uh some moments where Dayball really kind of showed his moxie and, and played for the win, and, and that was kind of the writing on the wall that this might be a different New York Giants season. Um, and I, I something that you left out of your analysis, but I think is worth noting, is that uh, Buffalo definitely looked worse without him. You know, obviously Buffalo had a great season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken Dorsey, you know, adequate fill-in, but... Uh, but that team needed some dayball magic down the stretch that they just weren't able to tap into that extra gear that that gear that that took them to a crazy 13 seconds away from the Super Bowl game against KC that doesn't happen this year and I think a lot of that's on dayball not being there. Um, I think I am a a uh, bucket number two kind of a guy. I Ooh. I tend to to want to look for the coaches that you know, can come into a situation where maybe it's not like we're expecting the team to have one win, but we're, we're just like, okay, that's a, that's a team that, that uh, doesn't necessarily have all the pieces put together to do anything. And then is able to weave some magic and come up with a, you know, a situation in which it's uh, either a key development, a piece they developed um, a player they developed or, some sort of system that kind of made all those broken parts fit together into something pretty. And so my pick for coach of the year is Doug Peterson, um, who really kind of came into Jacksonville after Urban Meyer had absolutely took a double decker in the, uh, in the, in the staff bathroom. Um, and (laughs) really kind of rehabbed that franchise. I mean, you know, we, you know, some of the nuggets that kind of came out um, during the playoff run, you know, he, he had this big meeting at the beginning of the year and told the players that he wanted to heal the team and, you know, really kind of treated it almost as like a therapy exercise. And he got his damn money's worth. I mean, he, he helped Trevor Lawrence kind of take that step. Um, I was a, a loud Trevor Lawrence critic last year, but he kind of came in, had that QB whisperer resume after what he was able to do with Nick Foles and Carson Wentz in Philly. And he was able to maximize Trevor Lawrence and really kind of put T-Lore on a, a, a good developmental path to have people kind of really intrigued to see what year three T-Lore will look like. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, he took that Jacksonville team to the playoffs. They got a playoff win, and they, they took the Chiefs to the mat. I mean, there was some some – you know, I would I have coached that Chiefs game differently? Yes, I I think there there were moments where the Jags looked like the moment was a little too big for them, uh, and then they were a little too conservative. And and I think that that does reflect kind of coaching, not wanting to blow the game. You know, let, you know we we want to just kind of hang around and see if there's a chance to win. Well, they did hang around. There was a chance to win, and then fucking Aggie fumbled on the like four yard line. Uh, but uh, 
but they definitely had their chances to win that game. And absolute credit to to the Jags for a hell of a season. And, and Peterson gets a lion's share of that credit in my mind. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that, you know, that playoff win that they did get, that was Peterson gets a ton of the credit for that win. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, keeping keeping a young, inexperienced team mentally together when they're down 27 points. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and your quarterback's just throwing four interceptions in like 10 minutes. Um, very impressive, you know, and I say that grudgingly as a, uh, a heavy Chargers better. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, that, I mean, that's, that's a good choice. I can't go wrong with that. I do think he's a, a great coach, and he's probably going to be with that team for some time. Uh, when, you were, when you were talking about your second bucket pick, I, I thought you were uh, getting ready to take Sirianni, which is another – I think probably a, a popular pick. I, I think for me, he, he falls into kind of that third. We're, we're, let's just say that I'll I'll have some awards talk for the Philly Eagles a little later in this presentation, and we can kind of unpack that. Um, <laughs> but next up Don't is... Don't skip ahead in your PowerPoint slide. <laughs> that's right. Next yeah. up is Offensive Player of the Year, a.k.a. the award given to the most valuable non-QB. Um and I think that there are, are a ton of, of players, including quarterbacks, that I think could be eligible this year. But the player that I went with for Offensive Player of the Year this season was Justin Jefferson. Um, he came about three-quarters away from shattering some wide receiver records. Uh, but I think most impressively, he, at a very young age, is clearly the best receiver in the league. He's he's dominating the league, and he's doing it with Kirk Cousins at QB and Adam Thielen as as his as his running mate. Thirty two year old Adam Thielen as his wide receiver uh, running mate. And to me, the only reason the Vikings had as good a season as they did was because Jefferson produced at an elite level for seventeen of the eighteen game uh, for sixteen of the seventeen games uh, in the regular season. Really put the team on his back. Um, countless huge plays. I mean, obviously the one that comes to mind is the fourth and 18 against Buffalo where he goes up and sort of one hand grabs it, takes it away from the defender, and the Vikings end up winning that game. Um, statistically an incredible season. Yeah. Highlight-wise, an incredible season. He's just the complete package, and it's very, 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 very hard to take him out of the game. And like I said, we only saw it once in the regular season. So... For me, JJ, Justin Jefferson, easy pick for OPOY. What about you? I, you know, the finalists for this award do include a couple of quarterbacks. So I, I know it's like a, uh, an etiquette thing to not pick a quarterback, but man alive, did the wheels come off the Justin Jefferson bus toward the end of the year? He had, three exceedingly shitty games to round out the season after, you know, just exploding like that middle third of the season might be the best, you know, seven games that any receiver ever played. Um, <clears throat> and then he had, you know, like 30 yards on average in the last three games, including their playoff loss. Uh, I think, I think I said uh, the, the award was his to lose. And then he went ahead and did just that. That being said, I don't like any of the other finalists better for this <laughs> this particular award. Fair um, enough. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think there's a case that you could make for Tyreek Hill being yes, kind absolutely. of a security blanket for for a team with, uh, I won't say unprecedented, but certainly unwanted turmoil at quarterback. Um, you know, he, he was kind of a steadying presence there. And then, you know, Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes, we're, we're going to talk about them in a bit. So, yeah, I, I think Jefferson probably still did enough on the whole to uh, to take it home. He, you're right. He is indisputably the best receiver in the league. But, you know, if he'd had three bad games in the middle of the season, it wouldn't stink quite as much as the three bad games at the end. And, and perhaps hypocritically, that's one of the reasons why Tyreek Hill was not higher on the list for me. Uh, because he didn't have a particularly strong finish to the season either, though I think it's indisputably because he didn't have good QB play, as you already touched on. But uh, yeah. he, if if he has Tua for the entire season, I think he puts together a uh, NFL history kind of a season himself. So 
he was very close for for a long stretch of the season. Tyreek Hill would have been the guy I would have picked. So uh, credit where credit is due. But moving on, we are now on to Defensive Player of the Year. And uh, it's your turn to go first. So who did you have for this award? (laughs) Uh, There was a point uh, in the middle of the season where I was pretty sure this was going to be the Micah Parsons Award. Mm -hmm. Uh, But kind of of like Jefferson, actually. He... uh, both by the eye test and by the numbers had a bit of a uh, drop off toward the end of the season, which is strange since he plays on a very talented defensive line that have, you know, a lot of guys that should be soaking up the blocks. So yeah, not, uh, not a great, you know, strong finish to the season. So I'm going to go back to the odds on favorite and uh, pick Nick Bosa because he had an incredible season on a very, very good defense. And it's, uh, you know, when when you can play on an extremely talented defense and still stand out and clearly be the best player on that defense, you gotta <laughs> gotta give props. Eighteen and a half sacks, um, multiple sacks in like six straight games at one point. Just uh, yeah, he he had a pretty incredible season. And <clears throat> and uh, unlike Parsons, he he really did carry that that level of excellence through the the tail end of the season. I'm right there with you as Bosa for me as well, uh, and not just because I have a large uh, a payout awaiting me uh, in DraftKings after I cash my 15-1 to 1 Bosa for uh, DPOY preseason oh. ticket. Um, he just really did uh, kind of – he was the straw that kind of stirred a very, very talented Niners defense, as you noted – led the league in sacks, uh, and the only guy that kind of came close to him all year, like you uh, like you noted, kind of dropped off down the stretch, and Bosa didn't. So for me, this is a uh, is pretty easy call here for Bosa, which uh, takes us to MVP, most prestigious award given out every year. For me, uh, I, I just went kind of chalky on my OPOY and DPOY picks. I'm going to go with the non-chalk. Uh, guy, but a guy who was up there in the MVP leaderboard all season, Jalen Hurts. Um, inc- incredible, incredible season. Um, just a year ago, we were talking about Jalen Hurts as a run-first QB who couldn't throw while we watched Tampa Bay blow Philadelphia out in the playoffs. And the leaps and bounds this young man has made as a quarterback uh frankly incredible and I, I know that the haters will say oh well they added AJ Brown they gave him a, a a true number one receiver on a team that's loaded with weapons with good offensive and defensive line those are all fair comments to make but i think just watching the tape he has become a more accurate passer he's become a smarter decision maker and he is still maintain that 10 11 carries per game number that so often we see running QBs kind of get phased out as they get older so he's still doing the stuff that makes him deadly on the ground with his legs he's been able to elevate that decision making and that passing game to really become this super well-rounded quarterback and and it's just really impressive I uh, we talk, uh, you know, and, and predominantly the, the conversation about improved accuracy is, is, uh, you know, a Josh Allen special. But but Hertz, Hertz's strides have just been really unusual to me. We don't really see QBs kind of take the kind of developmental leap that I've seen from him this season. And the only reason that he's not getting this award was because he got injured and missed a couple games down the stretch. And here is where I'm going to complain a little bit. If Patrick Mahomes had missed weeks four and five, he would still be winning the MVP right now. But because Jalen Hurts, a quote-unquote lesser player, missed a couple of games more recently, recency bias is kicking in, and suddenly Hurts <laughs> is, oh, no way. No way can we give the award to him. Bullshit. I mean, he, he has the Eagles as the number one overall seed, incredible season. Uh, sure, they had maybe a weaker schedule, but 
you know, he just he was the guy for the entire year, and we're not giving him this award because he missed eight quarters of football down the stretch. Just kind of bullshit to me. But um, you know, obviously Mahomes had a really good season. Mahomes is the is the chalk pick. I expect Mahomes to win. He did shatter the uh, combined passing and rushing uh, yardage number, so he has that mark for NFL history. Mm. So there's even a historic element to his season. Um, and he did it without Tyree Kill. So I, I get the narrative there. I just think that people are, are discounting what Hurts achieved in the offseason to set up the incredible season that he had. So he's my pick for MVP. Who have you got? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I didn't think that... Uh, I, I didn't think of Hurts as a long shot pick. I was going to pull for him as well. Uh, <laughs> you covered a lot of what I was going to say, which, you know, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, I just wanted to point out, so Jalen Hurts threw six interceptions this year. Which is that's wild, remarkable, remarkable in and of itself. Because that that's a very good season of quarterbacking. You know how many of those came in losses? How many? One. Wow. Yeah. So five of his interceptions, they went ahead and won the game anyway. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's definitely interesting. I mean, you gotta you gotta protect the football, man. Um, <laughs> that's uh that's a that's a crazy stat that's a crazy stat uh i just i'm taking a taking a cruise through his uh his yearly splits here just because i want to see if uh i have an exact number for you here um yeah here we go completion percentage <clears throat> his first his first season in philly 2020 he had a 52% completion percentage. That is poor. In 2022, his completion percentage is 66.5%. It's just that it's is very impressive. I mean, in in two years, he's a completely different player. He's a completely different player. Um. Anyway, we've 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 waxed lyrical about Hurts enough here. I I thought you were going to pick Mahomes, so I apologize. I was. <laughs> I was <laughs> negging. I was negging your choice before you even went, which was probably unsporting. No, 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 me. no. But uh, no, not at all. I mean, it, you're right. Mahomes is probably going to win it, but I don't know. I the narrative around it, to me at least, has seemed a little bit more neck and neck. But uh, okay, I yeah. I admittedly have not checked the uh, the DraftKings odds recently, but I didn't think it was super close. But we can uh, we can do that off offline. I'm going to read us out unless you have anything to add here. Uh, against Green Bay in Week 12, he had 157 yards on the ground on over nine yards per carry. That was that was a preposterous <laughs> game. That was a preposterous game. I don't remember it. That might have been one that I wasn't wasn't at home for. Oh, anyway. I, I remember it. Cause <clears throat> I bet on Green Bay and felt really stupid about it afterwards. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. Well, that's gonna do it for another episode of Pick Six Picks, folks. If you like what you heard, or if we make you some scratch on the action this weekend. Be sure to subscribe to the pause so we can see this content train rolling. Have fun, bet dangerously, and we'll see you next week.